That was Joshua Bell, world-famous violinist, playing the finale to Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto. On the 11th of April, 2007, uh, Joshua Bell packed up his $3.5 million violin and took a journey down into the Washington metro. There he concealed himself as a busker, and this is what happened. Seven people recognized the brilliance of his music out of those thousands. One recognized who he was. And 2,000 years ago, God took a journey, not from the Carnegie Hall down into the metro, but from heaven to earth. There he concealed himself. At the same time, revealing himself to those with eyes and ears to recognize him and his music. So I've called this the most unlikely Christmas, the one you weren't expecting, the one you didn't recognize, or you had to look very carefully, maybe go on a journey to see it. I wonder what you're expecting for Christmas this year. Uh, I was seven when I first discovered that Christmas presents didn't come down the chimney, uh, but from under my parents' bed. Uh, I looked down under their bed one day and began to notice how bags and parcels were accumulating just before Christmas. Uh, incidentally, I've never confessed this to anybody until today. This is the first confession after 55 years. Um, I crept under the bed and uh, one day when my mother was downstairs and there was a large box from Harrods. Uh, I opened it and there was an electric train set. I could hardly contain my excitement until Christmas morning, by which time, of course, I knew exactly what I was expecting for Christmas. But the first Christmas was totally unexpected, except by a few. Take, for example, the unexpected witnesses. We're told there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, those shepherds didn't just work in the fields, they lived there. They were the first century NFA, no fixed abode. They'd be a little bit less cold at night because they were awake and working. It was in the daytime they would sleep out in the open. They had no home. And Luke records, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. Do You see, God reveals himself to the most unlikely people. 
Shepherds were considered so dishonest, they weren't allowed to be witnesses. Shepherds were the lowest of the low in first century society. I wonder who would be the equivalent today. Well, who might you find in London, out of doors and awake at night? Illegal immigrants, perhaps, casual laborers, homeless Romanians under Waterloo Bridge. The most unlikely witnesses, those shepherds. And then the unexpected announcement, a baby. God declares himself in the most unlikely way. Just imagine for a moment, think back to 1940. The country's in chaos, the British army's retreating to Dunkirk. Invasion is certain and imminent. Supplies are low, food scarce, morale is rock bottom. There's absolutely no defense against the invader. The country is staring defeat in the face. And imagine to the front door of 10 Downing Street uh, arrives an odd-looking man demanding an audience with Winston Churchill. I must speak to the Prime Minister. I have the answer. The enemy will not conquer. The invasion will be repelled. I've got the secret of victory, he says. And the policeman outside number 10 has a cynical smirk on his face. What exactly is his hidden weapon? Can he bring America into the war? Has he developed a super bomb? What exactly is his solution to the national crisis? No, no, he says. I've got it. The answer is a baby's going to be born. Well, I don't think he'd have got very far into number 10, do you? And I wonder what they made of it 2,000 years ago. There was Palestine, desperate for rescue from its bondage to violent, occupying Rome. Don't fear, says the angel. I've good news of rescue. A baby. But of course, this turned out to be no ordinary human being. Listen to this. He was the meekest and lowliest of all the sons of men. Yet he spoke of coming on the clouds of heaven with the glory of God. He was so austere that evil spirits and demons cried out in terror at his coming. Yet he was so genial and winsome and approachable that the children loved to play with him and the little ones nestled in his arms. His presence had the innocent gaiety of a village wedding and was like the presence of sunshine. No one was half as kind and compassionate to sinners. Yet no one spoke such hot, scorching words against sin. A bruised reed he would not break. His whole life was love. Yet on one occasion it demanded of the Pharisees how they expected to escape the damnation of hell. He was dreamer of dreams and a seer of visions. Yet for sheer stark realism, he has all our self-styled realists soundly beaten. He was the servant of all, washing the disciples' feet. Yet masterfully, he strode into the temple. And the money changers fell over one another in their mad rush to get away from the fires they saw blazing in his eyes. He saved others. And yet at the last himself he did not save. There is nothing in all of human history like the union of contrasts that confronts us in the gospel. The mystery of Jesus 
is the mystery of divine personality. That was Professor James Stewart. And he was christened Saviour, and the name summed up the person's work, just as in this country until recently. John would be called John Smith because he shod horses' shoes. Dusty Miller ground the floor, the flower, and so on. Well, what was Jesus' work? The shepherds were told, today a saviour has been born to you. That's what the word Jesus means. Rescuer. Just as Mary was told, you're to give him the name Jesus. And Joseph was told with the explanation why. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people, not from the Romans, but from their sins. A child was looking at the decorations on a Christmas tree like this one. Uh, There were figures from the nativity scene hanging on the tree. Uh, There were a few animals, you can imagine, some people, stars, angels, and so on. When he spotted the crib, the boy asked about the baby. Who's that? That's the baby Jesus. The boy just stared at the baby and said, I bet bet they didn't put him on a bleeding tree. And the truth is, they did put him bleeding on a tree. Thirty years later, he died to take away our sin, to restore us to a relationship with God. Unlikely witnesses, the shepherds, unlikely announcement, a baby. And thirdly, the unexpected purpose of it all. What's the point of Christmas? What's it all for? Well, we're told, suddenly a great host appeared, praising God and saying two things, glory to God and peace to mankind. That, says the heavenly choir, is what Christmas is all about. God declares himself with a most unexpected aim, partly to bring glory to himself. So Christmas isn't just for us. It's not just for children or for families or for any of us. That should have some effect on selfish overindulgence. Christmas is for God to bring glory to him. But also, and equally unexpectedly, to bring peace, that is, peace with God, peace to mankind on whom his favor rests. So that God comes with unexpected favor, not with judgment. Um, Nick Stott, who opened the service this evening, Nick Stott and I were both at the same primary school. You may be surprised to hear not exactly at the same time together. Um, But we both had the same headmaster who was hugely respected but greatly feared in days when little boys still got beaten with canes. If the headmaster had been out of the classroom and came in unexpectedly and caught you mucking about, you were in trouble and it was going to be painful, a great deal more often for Nick than for myself, I I hasten to add. 
What's going to happen if the God of heaven enters the world where we have mucked up the life he's given us? Surely we'll be in trouble. But unexpectedly, the angel says, don't be afraid. It's good news. Peace to mankind. Great joy. And it's for everybody. God's favor, not his judgment, has arrived. So, do you see, put those three together. God comes that first Christmas to the least likely people in a way you'd least expect with a message you'd least have guessed. And he still does today. But we have to open our eyes. You may remember the Orange Revolution in the Ukraine in 2004. At the breakup of the Soviet Union, Ukraine was inching slowly towards democracy. And there was one reforming candidate, Yushchenko. He was nearly taken out of the elections, but the assassination attempt on his life failed. At the election, he was clearly in the lead to the annoyance of the authorities. The state-run TV reported the election result as follows. Ladies and gentlemen, we announce the defeat of Viktor Yushchenko. But what they'd forgotten was that the TV program included a signer for the deaf right down in a corner of the screen. The translator was a girl called Natalia Dimitruk, and she gave a different message in the corner of the screen. In deaf language, she signed... I am addressing all the deaf citizens of Ukraine. Don't believe what they say. They are lying. Yushchenko is our president. And texts about the fraudulent election spread like wildfire. If you know the story, soon millions joined in a protest in the center of Kiev. The authorities gave way under pressure, and Yushchenko was made president. Now, let me put it like this. The Christmas message on the big screen is all around us. It's in the high street shops. It's on the TV. It says Christmas is a myth, like Santa Claus and Tooth Fairies, Good King Wenceslas and his pizza, deep pan, crisp and even. I thought you'd like that. It says Christmas is a sentimental fairy tale, only for children. It says the only meaning to Christmas that's left is a winter break, time with family and friends, food and drink, and partying. But Jesus Christ and his Christmas message are no more. They are defeated. But if you look in the corner of the screen of your own worldview, you might discover a different message. It says... Don't believe what they say. They are lying. Jesus Christ is your rightful king. Take your eyes off the world's big picture and pay attention to the corner of your screen. That's where your hope lies. But to try find the true meaning, you have to look or you'll miss it, like missing a world-famous musician down a subway. And yet much, much more than that, you'll miss the King of Kings who came down for us.
Have you recognized who this person of Jesus is? A Harley Street psychiatrist has written, The psychiatrist spends a lot of time studying the personality of men and women and helping to treat its weaknesses. In the records of Jesus' life, I have come to recognize the personality which, although really human, was truly remarkable, indeed unique. In situations where you or I would be upset or foolish or afraid or incompetent, he showed strength, patience, and the deepest wisdom. For myself, I am sure that we see in his life and character none other than God himself. Have you recognized who Jesus is? Or is he still like that painting upside down to your view? Maybe you say, I'm not sure. The jury is still out. I would recommend you do something like the Alpha Course and explore the meaning of life. There'll be one near where you live, and you can find it on the website. If you live near here, we have a course starting in January on a Wednesday at the end of the month. But where's Christmas taking you? Why not make a journey to discover what's most important in life? As C.S. Lewis once put it, either Christ, he said, is of supreme importance, against which every other question you have ever thought of in your life pales into insignificance. Or Christ is of no importance, or worse, a fraud. But the one thing that Christ cannot be to you is moderately important. Let's just sit and think for a moment of what we've seen and heard in this service as Quinn uh, comes up to sing a song for us. I asked him a week ago, told him what I was talking about. I said, have you got anything up your sleeve uh, to just accompany this? And he composed this during the week. Darkness had invaded where he created light. He held a promise in his heart that they would be his children 
and he would be their God. The Father turned his face away. As the Son began to speak, he knew exactly what he'd say. Let me go to them, make my home with them. Wrap myself in human flesh and breathe the air they breathe. I will trade their sin for my holiness. I will be the way for them to come home. Light up the world. Light up the world. Not to us a child was born The power of salvation In a fragile baby boy Rejoice, O people of the earth The curse of man was fading At the utterance of the word Let me go to them Make my home with them Wrap myself in human flesh Breathe the air they breathe I will trade their sin For my holiness I will be the way The way for them to come home Light up the world Light up As we sit, let's pray. I'm going to pray a prayer which might echo some of the things that we want to say to God in our own hearts. And it may be for some this is reinforcing similar prayers we've prayed before, but for others it might be something we're doing for the first time. Maybe our eyes have been opened just a little bit more than ever before. We've seen things the right way up. We've seen him for who he truly is. And we hear his beckoning, welcoming invitation of favor, of peace with God, of a way back home 
to him. Forgiveness, new life. It's for everyone. If you've never prayed a prayer like this before, maybe you want to just echo it in your own heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking the journey from heaven down to earth. Thank you for coming for such as me. Thank you for being born, living, and dying on a cross for my forgiveness and new life. I ask your forgiveness. I'm sorry now for the way in which I may have mucked up my own life, the life that you've given me. Please forgive me. I trust in your cross to forgive my sin. And I ask you to come into my life as you've promised to make your home in our life. Come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Change me forever. Help me to make the journey of Christian discipleship following Christ. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.